All right. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We venture into our next chapter with the Apostle Paul here. Let me say this about this topic this morning. Um, where we're going to go with, with what Paul brings up in this section is, this is not a real edgy topic. You know, if you were trying to draw a crowd to some conference you were doing, you probably wouldn't want this topic to be the thing that you drew the crowd with. It's not a real sexy kind of thing to be talking about, get everybody's attention. I titled it Insights for the Leader and Follower Thing. However, it is one of those topics in your Christian life that is so basically fundamental Kind of like back when you were learning letters, consonants, and vowels. That's not real sexy stuff, is it? It's like, ooh, man, letters. Let's talk vowels, right? Nobody came to first grade or whenever we were learning that and was like, Mom, can we get a little faster to school today? Talking vowels. No one did that. But aren't you glad today that when you go to read something, you can read? Right? But, but you couldn't have read if you didn't learn vowels and consonants. I mean, there's a benefit for, to this. This subject today is kind of like that. It's very fundamental. All throughout our lives, there's a dimension of, of leading and following that's taking place. And there's many things the scriptures say about that. Uh, but we're going to pick up on just a few things that are here. So let's read this passage and then we'll jump into these thoughts. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 4. Apostle Paul says this, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself And Apollos, for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Let's pray. Father, thank you. For words that uniquely are designed to touch and shape our lives. Uh, Lord, this is not just anybody's thoughts here. These are, these are your preserved words for us. Holy, inspired, living words. And Lord, our souls need them today. And, and Lord, we may not even know how we need them. But you do. So Lord, help us to engage and, and to receive and to respond. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Well, in this passage, Paul's going to do something, I'm going to call it strangely helpful in this passage. He's going to address a topic of leadership, but he's going to do it in a little bit of an upside down way. And he's going to approach this topic from an angle that we're not used to approaching it either. He's going to feature in this followers. And most of the time when you talk about the subject of leadership and the Bible talks about the subject of leadership, it's featuring leaders. It's trying to talk to them, talk about them, adjust them, tell them what they should be doing, what they shouldn't be doing. But strangely, Paul's going to actually pick up the topic of leadership and spend all of his time talking about followers. And, and we don't, we're not used to that. That's not something we're real familiar with. When you and I hear discussions of leaders in the common media, what gets served up to us, you know, it's more common to hear a news presentation that sounds like, what a lousy president, what a lousy governor, what a lousy leader, than for the news story to say, what lousy followers, what lousy Americans, what a bunch of lazy, no good, right? You don't get that a whole lot, do you? You get high critique for everything that a leader does, what he was supposed to be doing, how he's supposed to have an impact, but low critique for most of you didn't even vote. I mean, that's a fact, right? The guy who sits in governmental offices, typically in America, is elected by less than half of, much less than half of the people who are Americans. Because a portion of those who went to vote voted and only half of them had to get the guy in. And that's not even close to half the people who live here because a lot of people don't even participate. Complain, critique, offer our opinion afterwards. Right, so we're, we're much more used to featuring... Let's, let's talk about the trendsetter, the noisy person. Right? I mean, it's, there's news headlines, con, you know, LeBron James constantly in the news if you're a basketball fan, you're a sports person. I don't, I don't know who's real trendy these days, the Kardashians maybe, or you know, years ago, Michael Jackson, whatever. You know, nobody critiqued the audience and said, uh, should, should you be so morbidly interested in these people? It's just like treated like normal. Let's just talk about them and let's, just, let's look at them. And I'm supposed to look at them? Yeah, we're supposed to look at them. I don't like what he said. I don't like what he did. Nobody looks back at the audience and says, you are lousy followers. But with the Corinthians, that's exactly what is happening. Because as we've waded through three chapters of the Corinthians, they're not good followers. And their attitudes are creating problems in this leadership following thing that God has put in place. And so it's not a bad thing for God to invent leaders and followers and to be in a relationship. But sometimes we just don't know how to do that. And if you've been in the kingdom of God very long, you've been in churches very long, you will know that, that sometimes folks that are following look to leaders in a way that they shouldn't which can produce a sense of following that's not appropriate or a sense of criticism and critique that's not appropriate. So either one of those can become the story of your church. And you guys have, you know, you've spent time in churches. You've been in this church. You've been in other churches. And you've seen that get done. So we need some help sometimes in this category. But 
The first thing I just want to highlight for us is, you know, they're coming from a particular setting. When this subject of, of leadership is coming up, they're in a particular setting in 1 Corinthians. And we're in a particular setting. So there's this concept out there called leadership where a few people are going to sit in that category. It's not a majority. It's not a massive group. It's, it's a few people. So the Bible is going to introduce us to something. It does it in all kinds of ways. That there are a few people doing what most people will not. That's just a fact. It's all throughout our lives. That's common in our culture. It's common in scripture. But that can be an awkward thing, right? It can be awkward to not feel like you're in that category. And maybe you feel like you should. There's a lot of things that happen in, this, in creating these distinct groups. There's things that happen in our attitude towards leaders. The Corinthians had some issues that they had to, to work through in order to follow leaders. We do too. You and I live in a, a governmental experiment called America. That when you study history, we're a pretty young group, aren't we? You know, most empires have been, have been around a long, long time. We're we're pretty pretty young experiment taking place. And we're this experiment in democracy. And, and I would say, as much as I would critique America for many things, I, I would say I'd rather be in America than any other country in the world. But remember how America got formed? Right? You had some founding fathers. You had some people who were creating some ideas. In the moment that they thought about these ideas, there was stuff going on around them. And so just like us, they looked at their life and stuff around them and they said, you know what, whatever we do, we don't want it to be that. If we invent something, we don't want it to be like that. Now, remember their setting. Their setting is the tyranny of King George. The tyranny of one person with way too much power making decisions for all kinds of people without consent, without awareness, without care. And so a government gets formed that says, you know what, whatever we end up with, we don't want it to look like that. So how about we invent something that's got like, like checks and balances in it? How about we make this thing a democracy, a republic, where government officials represent the individual voter and his rights to have his voice be heard? And we're going to create this thing with, with checks and balances in it, right? So there's three branches of government. You just don't have a king. You've got three branches of government. And why do you have three branches? Because they're supposed to provide checks and balances on each other. So that one branch just can't override the other and come up with whatever it wants to. And that sounds like a great deal. But over the centuries of our existence, our culture has moved more and more and more from collective existence to individual existence. How many of you guys would agree with that? You recognize that's happening all around you? All right, so you have a government that was created by people who thought, this is for the common good. You hear that word in government documents, a couple hundred years old? For the common good. You hear it all over the place. Common good, common good. Today, however, you and I are not interested in our culture in the common good. We're interested in the individual good. So we want things to feature what's right for me. And the result is a massive amount of factionalism in our culture. I mean, just watch the news. It's contentious. It's, it's demeaning. It's hostile. These checks and balances. 
have become parties at war with each other. So you have the executive branch at war with the legislative branch, don't you? And in some ways, both of those are at war with the judicial branch and the comments back and forth. And it's just getting worse. There used to be some decorum. So we kind of suspected you didn't like each other, but we weren't quite sure. Now we're absolutely sure. <laughs> you, you know, you, you hate each other and, and there's just a constant battle and fight taking place. See, this, this is the product of individual interest at the expense of collected interest. And factionalism causes something that sounds like what the Corinthians got used to. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. I'm of something. So we try to find some kind of group that we can identify with. And so today, you have these bold lines get, that get drawn around ideologies that, that for Christians, please be more discerning than the common culture. I'm of the NRA. I'm of conservatives. I'm of progressives. L- listen, one, as Christians, be very careful what bumper sticker you slap on your life because you might have to cover the Jesus bumper sticker in order to do that. You are of something and I am of something. We are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And we need to be careful. There are factions in our world, in our culture. There are churches, there are groups. That th- those groups become the thing. That determine whether you and I can get along with each other or not. I'm of. I'm of what? Right, well, this was the problem that was in Corinth. They, they had these divisive issues. And, and part of that flowed into how they related to leaders. This was a follower leader mentality. So this becomes part of how you relate to leaders. How you relate to leaders. And so it's being modeled. It's on the news every night. It's got an attitude, it's got an agenda, and it's teaching us something. All right, so it raises for us the question, because here's the line that Paul starts with. This, this is how one should regard us. As opposed to what, Paul? Well, as opposed to what came in the previous three chapters. As opposed to what you've been learning from your culture. Right, this is where it's so critical. They had a vantage point that had been taught to them, taught to them, taught to them. They took that vantage point into the, into the church with them. And I've told you this before. They, they had a, a patronage vantage point. They, the, the Roman Empire was built on a patron system. So if, if you were an underling, you wanted to find somebody at the top of the food chain in order to associate yourself with. So, you know, this is, this is mob, this is mafia-styled uh, leadership in the culture. So you wanted to make sure you associated yourself with somebody who was going to look out for your interests, provide opportunities for you, had a reputation, and then others would relate to you based on who that person was. So it became very important for you to say, I'm of who or what? What do you stand for? Who are you with? That's how you related to people. But they picked that up and they came into the kingdom of God with it. Now, we might not do exactly that, but we're picking stuff up and we're coming into the kingdom of God with it too, as it regards being a follower and relating to leaders. You know, some of you guys are old enough to, to, to still be part of the World War II generation. That was a very different group of people, wasn't it? 
Can, can you imagine? I can't imagine. I can't imagine my dad and his generation. Yeah, he, he didn't like a lot of things about the government. He didn't, he didn't look at the government and uh, just applaud everything that it was doing. But I can't imagine that generation having the crassness, the disrespect that's in our culture today. Right? You, you had people, leaders, who sat down in a war room, looked at a global situation, and called on the nation to lay down your sons and your brothers and your husbands and go fight a war on the other side of the world. Let's all come together and do that. And everybody did. Leadership was given and followership was there to say, that's what we need to do. You may not totally agree with it, but you figured out a way to engage that and be a part of something that was maybe not your particular personal opinion or preference. But that was normal. And then you fast forward to the Vietnam generation. The Vietnam War didn't quite feel that way, did it? That began to be, you know, that was the massive change. The 60s were a massive change. You and I are living in the fallout of what the 60s and 70s created. And this massive change now, people, now if, if you weren't in agreement with something, rally people against it, just, just stand up and fight it, protest it, come out violently against this thing. The generation before them, not like that. Followers and leaders just did things differently. Fast forward to today. Our culture feels a certain way in terms of how following and leading takes place. Today, there are, there are so many options and so much emphasis on the individual that it doesn't feel like any of us need to listen to anybody outside of ourselves. I don't need to tune into what somebody outside of me is saying. I don't need to figure out what the common good voice is describing or talking about. I'm the captain of my own ship. And that's right. And you shouldn't be questioning me on that. As a matter of fact, most people wouldn't. Most people would be highlighting the fact that I have personal preferences. I have a choice. It's about the individual. As a matter of fact, if anybody dares to impose on the individual, they're the ones who are wrong. Right? Isn't that what our culture feels like today? Now, wouldn't you think if you and I pick those ideas and we come into the church, we're going to come in with some of those ideas. The same way that previous groups have done, centuries ago have done, same way the Corinthians did as well. So be aware that we're entering and engaging this subject today from a particular vantage point. We're not the Corinthians, but we do have our own issues when it comes to following and leading and how that relationship takes place. So there's a lot in scripture about this. There's a little unique angle here I just want to grab from some comments Paul's going to provide for us and help us with this. Let me start with this word he puts in here. This is how one should regard us. Who's who's us? Because whoever us is, it's it's not them, right? This is a group that Paul is identifying uniquely in the midst of the larger gathering of the Corinthians. So there is an us and a them. It's not a hostile situation. It's not meant to be some snooty presentation of superiority. As a matter of fact, he's going to adjust that mindset right off the bat. 
But there is distinction here. And and what's interesting here is, as I mentioned earlier, Paul's actually not so much going to spend his time qualifying leaders, but please note this, he's going to do that about 10 years from writing this. And I think that's interesting, quite honestly. What he starts with here, right, you're in the early 50s, 53, 54 AD. 10 years later, you're going to get 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus written. If you, if you know your Bible, you know when you get to those books, there's going to be a lot about how the church is to be led, how it's to be run and operated, who are the leaders supposed to be, what are elders and deacons, and what qualifications do they need to have in order to serve. Now, you'll notice in 1 Corinthians, that's not present. Churches get planted and raised up. It's years before the qualification issue begins to be much more featured and, and bluntly set in place. Now, maybe that was because life lessons led them to that point. A revelation and the Holy Spirit used that to inspire words that said leaders should have these kinds of qualities. But there's not a lot about the qualities here of leaders. I'm going to pick up on just a little bit because there is something for all leaders to learn from in this passage. But the reason Paul's bringing this up is for the followers. And when he mentions these things, he's going to talk about them being stewards and them being servants. He's not trying to correct Apollos or himself or Peter. This is not a lesson to, hey, you leaders out there, you you need to be servants. And and you need to serve people and not have your head all big, Cephas. You got that? This is not why he's writing this. Paul doesn't show up in Corinth and say, oh my gosh, Apollos, could your head be any bigger? Good night, man. He, he is saying this to the followers because they are the ones struggling with being puffed up by their association with leaders. So this isn't to correct leaders. It is to adjust followers. And all of us are called to be followers. Don't move past, I know this is kind of like the alphabet, but don't move past this too quickly because you are living in a day that dislikes functional authority. It does not like functional authority. It believes in some kind of idea of authority, but the moment authority goes to function, the day you and I live in doesn't like that. And so every form of functional authority today, the second it sticks its head out, it's going to get beat up by something, right? So this is why you, I mean, this is popping up everywhere. This is, this is male, female issues. I heard some crazy interview the other day about some woman who's trying to get rid of the word woman because it's got man in it. And it was just this long conversation with a person about that. I'm like, is this really happening? Everything that has man in it needs to be done away with because it's, you know, well, that's, that's a response to something, right? That's a response to all these years, men have abused their authority in women's lives and that needs to get fixed. Now, Can the church be clear on this? Everywhere that that has occurred, that needs to be fixed. That's biblical. The world didn't need to tell anybody that. The Bible already had told us that. But but please be wise and careful. You know, I've used this illustration before. But, you know, if if I go to fix something, 
This is, the, this is what the world looks like to me. It's, it's fixing things by walking over and going, you see that male-female thing right there? You see the abuse thing right there? Well, that guy did that to that woman. Bam! That needs to get fixed. And you see that thing? And, they, and, and they're doing this. But you know what they're not paying attention to is the backside of this thing. You know? So there's this... And, you know, and, and not paying attention, you know, while you're correcting something that needed to be corrected, because you're, you're not seeing it correctly, you are damaging other things while you do that. So our culture isn't wrong completely, right? It, it's it's, it's on to some things that have needed to be adjusted. But just be careful you don't jump on the bandwagon because it's breaking things that God put in place that are good. This, this whole subject of somebody having authority over you is a good thing. Please don't reject something that God has made fundamentally, critically important to our lives. We are creatures who were never intended to not have authority over us. And the day we start operating without it is chaos. And that's much of what you're seeing in our culture is a chaotic culture. So in the church, there is this thing, put this in your outline, there is an us group in the church as well as in all of our lives. There's an us group. In your household, there's an us, right? Your family members, parents are an us group. That children, you don't belong to that group. You are a them group. They are the us group. Right? In the household of God, there are us and there are them in that setting as well. That group, the one in the church I'm speaking of here, has functional and spiritual authority in the realm of the church. So, yes, welcome to America. This is not a democracy. Does everybody know that? Right, we do have the voting polls in here, but that's not for the church. They just use the building on a regular basis. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. It's not how God runs things. Right? So you should expect it's going to be different. And there is going to be a leadership followership dimension that's in this setting. Charles Spurgeon once was speaking at an annual pastor's conference. He said this to these pastors. He says, it is clear that some think too much of us. And something too little of us. It would be far better if they considered of us soberly as the ministers of Christ. And he's quoting from 1 Corinthians there as servants of Christ. It would be for the advantage of the church. For our own benefit and for the glory of God. If we were put in our right places and kept there. Being neither overrated nor unduly censured, but viewed in our relation to our Lord rather than in our own personalities. Let a man so consider us as of the ministers of Christ. And this is what Paul is jumping into. He speaks to followers and he he says, this is how one should regard us. Right? There is a dimension where we need to have regard for a group of people in a certain way. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, read that verse carefully. Just that little passage there carefully. This is not a call for 
Now, here, here, here are women ask this question. It's like, well, the Bible calls on a wife to submit to her husband. Uh, but do you know, the Bible doesn't call for a woman to submit to every man. Right? So sometimes we kind of get this kind of jumbled and mixed up. And, and as local churches, you're not called to submit to every leader in the kingdom of God. Obey your leaders and submit to them. So there's got to be a your leader category, right? So right now you're sitting here. Names should pop up. Your leaders. Who are your leaders? And are they in your file in a way that there's anything that they're doing that would require a response of obedience and submission? Now listen. On the one hand, this is very awkward for me to preach. Can you get that? But on the other hand, all, you know, any week I'm standing up here, I'm just trying to repeat what's in the Bible. And that's not awkward for me because I know I'm going to face God and he's going to say, why'd you say what you said? Where'd you get that idea? And hopefully I'm going to be able to say, well, I, got, I got it from your word. <laughs> right, so I'm just quoting Hebrews where it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Those are powerful words. Those are unwelcome words in our day. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm an American. I've got rights. I get to choose whatever. Well, in the kingdom of God, did you know the Bible calls on you to have identify who are your leaders? What it didn't call you to do is, well, I'm one of those Christians who doesn't have any. The Bible assumes you have leaders. It assumes you are a person under authority. You will never live the Christian life the way you're supposed to. Outside of authority. And authority is, you know, it's an important word, but authority is a messy word. Authority is people messing with your life. And when they cross your will, that's the hardest time to have an appreciation for authority. But it might be the most critical time to have an appreciation for authority. Where people need to be a voice outside of your own voice telling us something that we may not want to hear. So obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning For that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a clear conscience. Desiring to act honorably in all things. Why does the Bible construct this leader follower dimension? So that it would be an advantage to you. This is God's invention so that you and I, as members of the body of Christ, have an advantage. We have a benefit in our lives. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 is going to say, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. I'm I'm teaching these things about leadership. I'm using them as an example in our lives. Not because Apollos needs to be corrected, but for your benefit. That you would understand this is an economy God has created. That there would be people in our lives who help to keep watch over our souls. Now when you and I read that verse, do we respond to it by saying, wow, 
I don't need anybody keeping watch over my soul. I got a Bible. You know? I got a brain. I follow God. I pray. I have the Holy Spirit, man. Do you, you realize these are words inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? So, you know, this is one of those moments. Hey, don't get more spiritual than the Bible, okay? But, you know, we can feel that way. We can feel like, well, I have a level of maturity. I have understanding. I have resources. And yet the Bible would describe each of us as still needing someone beside ourselves to help keep watch over our souls. Now listen, these are, these are great words, but if you don't have a, a functional set that you call your leaders, then you are not responding to this passage. If you're one of those we used to call them cruisomatic, but you know, kind of the modern Christians who's just spends a little bit of time here, a little bit of time there, kind of in this church for a little while, in that church for a little while. I attend two or three churches. Uh, well, who are your leaders? Well, you know, I just kind of believe in the universal body of Christ. You know, everybody's my brother and sister. It's like, hey, okay, you're more spiritual than the Bible because the Bible actually thought it really needed human beings with flesh on to actually be involved in your life in a way that would help keep watch over your soul. So I can't treat this leader-follower dimension like, like, this is, like this is optional. Like I don't really know whether I need this or not. It's not optional according to scripture and it is needed in my life. So this us group at some point is going to do stuff. And they're going to do stuff that's going to bump into our world. So, they, you know, I grew up with a, you know, I had an us group in the house that I grew up in that I wasn't a part of. So, you know, that us group created the menu every night and served it at a particular time and required that I be there. You know, we ate dinner at a certain time and we ate what was set in front of us. You know, the, the, this is strange today, I know, right? There's options today, you know. You, if you don't like what, what's being served up at home, you just, you just hold out. You know, you learn this as a little kid too, right? You, you're a little junior terrorist and you just know. <laughs> Mom and dad, they've got limited energy, limited attention span. They can only give so much time to this whole dinner exchange. I'm going to wear them down. And eventually, you know, it's like, sure, yeah, the Hershey's bar and the cereal. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Eat something. Uh, you know you got options and you exercise those options. But, you know, there is somebody in authority in that category, Right? They're supposed to set the menu, set the diet. Uh, I, I grew up on somebody else's schedule. Right? I, I got told when to get up. I got told when to go to bed. Uh, when family vacations were planned, you know, there weren't a lot of options for me. You, you're, you were going or you were homeless. That was kind of your two choices. Uh, and here's when it is. Here's when we're planning on doing it. But, but that's kind of not how the local church feels in some ways. As I interact with pastors and, and, and hear, what, what does it feel like to pastor in a modern setting? Well, you've kind of got this very individualized thing happening. You have, you have highly individualized menus. So, you know, what do you want to eat? Right, so I'm picking a topic here. This, you know, you're not visiting this podcast anytime soon, are you? Followers and leaders. Ooh, can't wait to hear that one. 
And we live in a day where, see, these ideas, we pick these ideas. Where do we get them from? We pick them up, we bring them into the church with us. And so we have a, a high view of us as an individual. So I know what I need to eat. And I'll just dial it up from a podcast from one of my favorite guys who says about that subject what I want him to say. And so I've listened to this guy long enough to know I don't like what he says in that category. So I stopped listening to him. And I found another guy. Now, he's finally right on. That guy. Who's in authority right now? I am. I'm the person in authority telling the podcast whether they have permission to tell me what I want to hear. I don't like what you have to say. Well, that's easy to do on a podcast because they're not your leaders. But you do need your leaders who you don't have authority over, who they stand and tell you what they are led to tell you, and you eat whatever is served to you. That's not how the kingdom of God operates today. We pick and choose quite a bit. Church calendars. Hmm. Not sure we do that real well as a modern church setting either because my individual calendar is much more rigidly important than the church calendar is. So the idea that the church would plan something, the church would organize something, the leaders in that setting would put an emphasis on this particular thing at this particular time, well, that may or may not work for me, you know? Because my calendar has authority over all calendars. And so what we do, and this is, this is happening in churches, we just don't participate. But wait, but, 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 but there were leaders among you who thought what the church needs right now, it, it needs fellowship aspects through small group connections where people relate in a particular way. It, it needs a parenting seminar for people who are raising children who need a, an otherworldly view from scripture to figure out how do we do this. It needs a, it needs a prayer workshop to equip us. Now listen, you know, you hear these things, but what we've picked up from the world and came into the church with is my calendar rules the day. I don't submit my calendar to anybody. I decide what's on my calendar. and Oh, I'm sorry. That's not going to work. Oh, that's not going to work either. Oh, that's not going to work either. And that's what's happening in churches today. So, We're not having a Paul and Apollos issue, but we are having some issues with how followers and leaders relate. This is how you should regard us. Regard. Should. There is a dimension that God has created something that is for our advantage, for our benefit, for our good. And it's going to interfere in our lives and God designed it that way. There's no way of not having interference from the outside. If you live in a country, there are rules. There are speed limits. Somebody's going to interfere with you. If you get married, somebody's going to interfere with you. If you have children, somebody's going to be interfering with you. You don't get to live exclusively all to yourself. If you are part of a church, and every Christian should be, somebody's going to mess with you. And that is how God designed it. So... How should you regard us? Or this is a helpful word for both us as followers and leaders as well. Well, he says, as servants and stewards. Servants and stewards. Now, I'm going I'm to pull this into the conversation for 
everybody who's got a role of leading, this, this is helpful, critical insight. But, but do remember, Paul didn't mention this because Apollos or himself or Cephas needed to be corrected about whether they were servants and stewards. The followers needed to hear, this is how you should regard your leaders as servants and stewards. That's why he's bringing this up and that's kind of the feel for it. Well, what are these servants? Let me just pick on those two words. Leaders are servants. It's an interesting word in the original language of scripture. The word actually means under oarsman. It's a guy who rowed in a boat. But uh, you, know, you had different layers of guys who rowed. The guys on the top layer, they got more air. So they got a little more ventilation going on. And then you had one, maybe two more layers of guys who were rowing in a dark, air not moving setting. And that's that word. You're like the bottom tier guy rowing the boat, right? You're not man in the helm, steering the big wheel, wind blowing in your hair. No, no, you're a servant. You are not seen. You are under the deck and you are rowing the boats. Uh, that word would be used elsewhere as, as an attendant of the king, as an assistant. So that's what a, a servant was. And that would be very, very important because the church is supposed to have leaders in it. The church is supposed to have current leaders and future leaders. When you hear that word leader, it feels a little different than under oarsman, doesn't it? Hey, we're going to have an under oarsman seminar coming up for all you guys who would like to be in the dark room underneath where no air conditioning is and you just row, 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 row for the church. That sounds a little different than we're going to have a leadership conference coming up. Would you like to attend? Right? That sounds, huh? Well, leadership now. Now you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, I think I'll be there for that. D.A. Carson says, most people at some point or other dream of themselves becoming great leaders. What do their minds conjure up? The person who daydreams about being a leader in almost any field imagines that it is like to be the best or at least to be better than most others. To succeed where others fail. To be a stalwart where others stumble. To create where others merely perform. To win adulation and applause. To be a leader may mean fame, money, and some freedoms from the responsibilities and humdrum existence of ordinary mortals. To be a leader means to win respect. All right, that might be what is featured in that category. But in the kingdom of God, to be a leader is, is to be a servant. It is to aspire to find ways to get underneath and help in people's lives, in the greater good of the church, to row at the very bottom level, even if no one knows. That dude doesn't get off the boat and people stand in the line and applaud. Whoo, man, thank you. Whoo, see, under oarsmen getting off. Now, by the time those guys get off the ship, everybody's gone. They were just servants. Right, you want to find out what your attitude is about leading and whether or not you're okay with being a servant? Just let somebody treat you like a servant. You'll find out. Let them underappreciate you. Let them not notice. 
Let them not rally around you. Let them not treat you like you have done something incredibly life-changing. Let them just keep going after you did your thing. But that's a servant. A servant doesn't feed on that sort of self-promotion or self-protection or self-interest. A servant has as a priority, I'm here to contribute towards something outside of me. And, this, and none of us are exempt from this, right? Even the guys who hung out with Jesus had challenges in this. Remember Jesus' conversation with them in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35. It says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand, And one at your left in your glory. A little bit later it says, And when the ten heard, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I would just say this to any, any leaders who... Venture into the realm of answering a call that God has given to to lead. Pay attention to the Holy Spirit pointing out why you do what you do. Why do you why do you have interest in that? Why do you forward that project but not this one? Why do you take notice of that but you don't ever seem to notice this? See, what was operating in James and John operates in us as well. I just, I just want to further the things that help me to sit at the right hand of glory. So if you're doing something that helps me be a more impressive person in the eyes of others, then I'm all for you. Listen, this, this becomes a problem when leaders try to lead together. Because they, they end up with competing agendas. Not serving the common need, but serving their own need for something that's going to look good for them. Going to further them. Going to make them feel a certain way. Going to surround their situation with something that affirms them. Just be careful. You know, you know what that does to a group of leaders together? Well, you see it right here in this passage. Because other leaders sniff it out. And it becomes contentious. And the other ten didn't have warm, fuzzy feelings for these two guys. Who basically were engaging Jesus with their own agenda. Rather than coming as servants to find out, Lord, what is the agenda for us? Because I'm an under oarsman. I just pull on the oar, man. They applaud you, the captain of the ship. When we pull into port, you're the one everybody's going to be talking to. They're not going to come find me, and I'm good with that. 
That's who leaders are called to be. But listen, this is not only important for Paul and Cephas and Apollos to hear, or for any leaders to hear, but this is important for followers to hear. There are some of the most effective leaders that are going to pop up in our lives are going to be serving us. They're going to be showing up in a way that, that we need that serving. So this, this finds its way into an audience of followers for Paul by highlighting the fact that there is a serving taking place by these us people that you need. This is valuable because you need to be served in a particular way. Do you know that of yourself? And I, I need to be served in certain ways. I, I have that need in me. Then he says leaders as well are stewards. This is how you should regard us as servants and as stewards. And, and that word is, is really a, a household manager. You know, this is... Uh, uh, who's, the, who's the butler for Batman? Alfred. Yeah, this is Alfred. You know? But what you know, at the end of the show, everybody's into Bruce Wayne and Batman. You know, you're not like, oh, Alfred. Alfred. Yeah. Man, Alfred's performance was amazing, wasn't it? Uh, did, you, did you notice Alfred? Well, yeah, now that you mention it, yeah. Well, that, that's who this steward is. He's a household manager. He is managing something that the owner has entrusted to him. And that's who he is. Now, be careful. As, as stewards, in your outline I put this, we, we are not inventors. We're not creating a brand. We are not originators. It's very tempting for leaders to love the sense of originality. Right? There's something about we don't want to be looked past. Right? I don't want you, you know, you didn't come to Wayne Manor to visit Alfred. You came to find Bruce Wayne. Right? I, don't, I don't like to be looked past. So I want to do something original that when you go to try and figure out who should get the attention for that, you can only bring that back to me. So I, I need a brand. I need to do something that is only associated with me. This is, this is tempting for leaders to do, but you should regard us as Stewards. We, we are household managers. We are managing somebody else's affairs, not our own. The gospel is that which is to be noticed and it belongs to Christ. At the end of the day, if stewards have done their job, they have ushered you past them to the one that they came to see. Jesus himself. The gospel of the Savior. So we need to be careful as, as leaders, as those who may aspire to leadership at some point, that we're not in this because we, the road stops with us. Now, now get very comfortable with the idea that we're just ushering people to somewhere else and they may not even remember that they encountered us along the way. But if they remember they encountered the gospel and the person and the work of Jesus Christ, then then we have succeeded as stewards and servants. If we are stewards, then the affairs of the household are what they are, and we simply are managing those things. We, We don't get to tamper with them. We don't get to change them. 
Right? So maybe my personality is I'm just one of those people who's, who's just real positive. You, know, I just, you don't ever hear criticism come out of me. Uh, I'm, I'm not negative about stuff. I'm just, just real on top. Everything's going to be sunshiny tomorrow. That's kind of who my personality is. But you see, I'm, I'm handling the gospel. I am a steward of the gospel. I don't get to remove from the gospel the call to repentance. The fact that there is holiness in the gospel. The reality that there is a God who is righteous reaching out to a people who are unrighteous. And that's not real pleasant feeling. But I'm a steward. I don't get to change those things. I don't get to turn them into my favorite categories. Like conservative politics. I know it's fun to watch the news, but but just be careful. You are not a steward of the Republican Party. You are a steward for Jesus Christ. You represent him. And whether or not some little democratic experiment on earth survives or doesn't survive, there's bigger stuff going on all around us. That go into eternity. That has and will touch billions of people. Who don't agree on all of the conservative policies that some of us might have. Be careful. We are stewards of something. Stewardship involves a high knowledge of the one we represent and of what we've been entrusted with. You and I have been entrusted with something that's not trendy, may not feel current. Doesn't mean we don't speak modern language, but we don't get to change it because certain people and settings and cultures don't like it. We're stewards. That's, that's all we are. We're not inventors. We're not originators. We don't get to rewrite things. We don't have copyright access to that which we represent. As stewards, right? And this is, again, this is words given to followers. So you should expect and you should be ready to receive that leaders in the local setting that you are following are simply stewards. Well, I don't really like that. Hey, If you don't like it because we have said it wrong, that's okay. But if you don't like it because you don't like the nature of it, that's not okay. We can't fix that. And we shouldn't try. And you shouldn't expect stewards to. Stewards are just managing somebody else's stuff. You know, be careful. Young people, be careful in this regard. Because you can be looking for something that's pragmatic. You can be looking for something that's new. Everybody's looking for something that's new. That's just the world we live in. We want something new. We want something that doesn't sound so familiar. So, oh gosh, that's so old. That's so your grandmother. Um, okay, the gospel's even worse than your grandmother. I mean, it's just, it's from the foundation of the world. <laughs> it's the eternal God interacting with a fallen humanity. And it, it, there's just so much about it that doesn't change at all. So be careful if you're a young person and you are one of those guys who is just you're, you're caught in the latest thing, effective things, things that work, 
things that, you know, IBM and Microsoft and Google, they're all figuring out this is what works. You know, be very careful. There's a lot of stuff, you know, I drive a car because that works. It gets me where I'm going. There's a lot of stuff we do that's cool to do. But but be careful that you're not more of a specialist in those things than you are in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Knowing who those Trinitarian beings are and the role they play in our world and in our lives. Make that the most important thing you steward in this world. All right, one last thought. Servants and stewards equal humble leaders. And that, that just makes sense, doesn't it? If we, if we are leaders who are given the task of being under oarsmen, sweat, dark places, pulling hard on the oars, and we are simply representing someone else's interest and pointing you toward him, if, if that's who we are, <clears throat> there's just not a lot of ground to go. <clears throat> Pretty important. Humility comes pretty easily if servanthood and stewardship are what they really are supposed to be. And this is where it's sort of a tripwire when Paul gets into this conversation in verse 6 when he says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn not to go beyond what's written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? And what do you have that you did not receive? You're, you're just a steward. You didn't invent this. You're not the originator. You just were handed it. You want everybody to be impressed by that? If then you received it, why, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? These are words to contemplate as, as leaders. And, and listen, I'm, I'm, I'm using this primarily just to talk about leaders in the body of Christ. But there are dimensions in which this, this travels into other aspects. When God has afforded you a place of authority in the lives of others. And you believe in a sovereign father who puts these things in place in your life. Then, then you are answering that question for whatever role you're playing. What do you have that you didn't receive? Really, are, are you the boss with an attitude? You're, you're not, you don't lead your company as a servant? You're, you're the adult? You're the parent? Because I said so? Kind of parent? What, what, what do you have that you did not receive? Do, do you know the authority you have as a parent is not yours? You were given that by God? He established that. He could have just taken his hands off the universe and said, hey, good luck. A little herd of people. Yeah, he spit out a few and then just, I don't know who's in charge, whatever. No, he turns around and he says, parents are to have authority in the house. Where'd you get that? What did you have that you didn't receive? Are you running around acting like you're not a person under authority yourself? Servanthood and stewardship brings about humility for leaders, which is what leaders should seek and want in our own lives. But it's also what leadership should feel like for you as folks who are following. You, you, you should feel a sense of leaders who you are very aware. Those, those guys, they serve. They serve this church. And, and they are managing that which is God's, not their own. Right? That's what it should feel like. 
Now, one of the things we wanted to do this time of year, we, we try to do this most years, is to, is to take a few moments to thank people who contribute in unusual ways, at unusual levels, into our lives as a, a local church. And this morning, I, I want to turn our attention and thank the covenant group leaders that are among us who uh, lead covenant groups, who give care to segments of our local church and, and bring a quality of fellowship to folks' lives that, that we would just lack. So let me just share something, and I'm going to actually ask them to come up so we can thank them and we can pray for them. But this, this quote by D.A. Carson caught my attention for them. He says, there is a sense, of course, in which all Christians are servants of Christ and all have been entrusted with the gospel. Nevertheless, Paul makes it clear that he is still dealing primarily with leaders. What it means to be a servant of Christ is to be, listen, obligated to promote the gospel by word and example. That's a great line for all of us to chew on. There is an obligation for every Christian to promote the gospel by word and example. The gospel of the crucified Messiah. The servants of Christ have a fundamental charge laid on them. They have been entrusted with the gospel. And all their service turns on making that gospel known and on, listen, this is covenant group leaders to me right here, encouraging the people of God by word example, and discipline to live it out. Right? If, you, if you want a one-line description of covenant group leaders, that's a one-line description of covenant group leaders. Encouraging the people of God by word, by their example, by the discipline of their lives to live out the gospel in the world in which we live. That's an indispensable thing that we do as a church. The fellowship that gets created and afforded because uh, men and women who lead our small group settings create those opportunities, invest their lives in others, lay down their lives for the sake of others, get in dark spaces and pull hard on oars and row moves us as a church in categories that nothing else would do that. And so we are, we are right to be thankful for these husbands and wives and those who are leading in these categories. So this morning, could I, could I ask all the covenant group leaders who are here this morning, if you guys could come forward and just stand here for a moment. I want to share one passage here with you. And we want to take a moment to appreciate you and pray for you. So husbands and wives, if you guys would... Come on up here. Hopefully we've got a good chunk of our folks that are leading. There's about 17 or so groups that meet in different places around the city throughout the week. You know, the, the oldest covenant group leader, I won't say who he is, has beat some of you other people up here. Just saying. The speed level here is 
there's a little passage that's tucked away here in this section of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that is just priceless. I hope you'll hear it uniquely as it should be applied to each of you. Chapter 4, verse 5, Paul said, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Right, that's not my main reason for reading this, but you know, one of the things that you guys are doing is, is you're investing in people's lives at different stages. In some places, you're sowing seed. In some places, you are helping a little sprout to not get stepped on or knocked over. In some places, you're strengthening something that's had years of growth in it. Be careful how you judge your own fruitfulness. Right, some of what you're doing, you, you just, you're going to see it much later in people's lives. The season that they're in may be a season of survival, and, and you were a means of them surviving this season, of being encouraged in a moment when they were tempted to quit. You know, are they thriving, or did they go off and plant a church in some foreign soil? Uh, no. But they heard something you said, and they, they were loved by you in a way that sustained them in a very dark and difficult place. For some people, they're struggling or they've just taken their first steps and, and you are taking them to the next place and, and what, what you planted, like anything that gets planted, it may take years for the, for the first apple or orange to pop off that tree. It may take years. So be careful don't pronounce judgment before the time. You don't, you don't know enough of what's going on. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart. You, you don't know enough to be able to judge all that's going on in people's lives. But there's a day the Lord does. He knows what's happening. And in that day, then each one will receive his commendation from God. Listen, I I know as a leader, it's very easy to feel like I'm coming up short. I'm not doing enough. I could pray more. I could care more. I could be more involved. It just... Okay, against that backdrop, do you know everybody who's ever led, I'm sure, feels that way. But what's coming from God is a day of commending. Imagine one day how you guys have served and you've laid your lives down, God is going to commend you one day and he's going to disclose things that nobody knew. Nobody knew this about your week. This is your week, right? It's the beginning of a hectic week for you at work, for your kids, for your household schedule. You've been fighting off some illness. You've been fighting with a child's will. You've been fighting with your spouse, maybe with your boss, but your small group is meeting this week and you will fight for time to pray, time to prepare your home or to prepare to lead the meeting, to reach out to a group member, to help with a meal, to attend a funeral come and meet with one of your group members with one of the pastors to get with somebody who's been missing 
Right, those are the things, some of the things, hidden in darkness. Followers just know you're a covenant group leader. This is the stuff that's going on during your week when you slam the brakes on your life and you say, God, I'm here to pull on the oar really, really hard to help what you're doing in this person's life and that person's life to go to the next place. Listen, God sees all that. And there's a day coming of commendation from the Lord that I, I hope I get to at least sit in the bleachers and be one of those applauding for all that you guys have meant to so many people uh, in their moments when they needed you to be there for them. So can we do this? Can we pray together for this group and offer our thanks to God and, and then you can wildly and enthusiastically applaud and thank them yourselves. This is how you should regard us as servants and stewards. The Lord, standing before us are servants and stewards. People who have said yes to grabbing the oar and sometimes in unnoticed, difficult places don't know what to say. I don't even know if I know how to do this. But I'm here to serve with whatever I've got. And this is who this group has been to us. They have served us. And they have served us in ways that we have needed them to serve us. We needed what they brought to our lives. We needed fellowship. We needed a setting where we could relate to other people. We, we needed to think through the application of your word in our lives. Lord, these husbands and wives have served us. And Lord, they have been your stewards. Lord, they have taken us to you. They have brought us into your presence, into a greater understanding, into an awareness of truths in your word to things that you have said to your nearness when we thought you were far away to our confusion about you that you they brought clarity or they have managed your interests so well in our lives so lord as we approach the end of another year god how thankful we are for each of them We stand before you today, Lord, to say thank you, Lord, for servants and stewards among us who have served the needs that we have in our lives. And we look forward, Lord, one day to you commending them as only you could, for you saw everything that it took for them to lay their lives down for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we thank these guys?